a, a man in the city, actually a, a Christian leader, take care of your soul. And I wish I knew now what I, uh, oh, excuse me, I wish I knew then what I have come to learn now after many years of, uh, of what Augustine said, you know, we, to know God and to know ourself, of exegeting my soul and coming to know the complexity of, of each of our souls. You know, we talk about uh, listening to soul music, going to eat soul food, soul care, but sometimes the human soul is a complex thing. Is it, is it not? Uh, of, of, it's like nailing jello to the wall. Sometimes you feel like you have it, but then you don't have it. Uh, you know, it said that the eyes are a window to the soul. And our emotion, emotions are the voice of our soul. If you've been around therapy, counseling, recovery in any kind of capacity as I have and been a healing process of discerning and, and figuring out the complexities of my own soul, uh, you know you, a lot of people talk about uh, the, uh, the primary emotions. What are the core primary emotions of our being? And there's a lot of, some say there's three or four or eight or seven, there's different ways that people uh, categorize that. But that goes back to the first century. There's a, the Chinese were the first to come up with this in the first century, of a, it was called the Book of Rights, and they called it the primary emotions, and identified seven feelings of men, and they are joy, anger, sadness, fear, love, disliking, and liking. Since then, psychiatrists, psychologists have dissected that and said, no, there's just three, there's just four, and all this kind of thing. You've probably seen those charts. But in, our, in the biblical narrative, we know that the first human emotion experienced in the human condition is in Genesis 3. We know the story. Adam made the wrong decision, and God asked him a question after Adam hid. God said, where are you, Adam? And God didn't ask Adam that question because he didn't know the answer, but he wanted Adam to know his condition. And Adam said, what? I was afraid, and I hid. The very first human emotion in the human experience was fear. Probably shame on the other side of that coin because of his choices, something that we experience uh, you know, on a daily basis, Psychology Today had an interesting article listing 800 phobias in the human condition. We know them. You probably know what you're afraid of. You know what the number one on that list was? Acrophobia, the fear of heights. Hey, someone is afraid. Someone has that one. I don't have that one. My wife has it. I love heights. I've jumped off stuff, repelled off stuff, and, and love that Chicago building where you look down. I just love that kind of stuff. But I know some of that is for heights for you. Autophobia, the fear of being alone. R.D. Lang, a Scottish psychiatrist, said the greatest fears are three things, according to his perspective. Death, other people, and our own minds. When it comes to being, answering the honest question, can God use me? Can I make a difference in the world? Can I use my gifts, my resources, my energy, my retirement, my education, what I do nine to five to make a difference in God's kingdom? A lot of us are like Moses. When God said to Moses, Moses, do you, I want to, to use you. Do you remember Moses' response? He said, no, God, I can't even talk. Probably had a stuttering problem. Or God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want to use you. And what did Jeremiah say? Jeremiah said, I, I'm too young. I, no, 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 there's no possibility of using me. But, but there, is a, there is an inherent thing of us having fear and confusion and doubt when it comes to being uh, used by God and being sent by God to be the church in the world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said something really beautifully, the German martyr uh, who said that uh, the church is the church when it exists for others. 
We as the church of Jesus are here. We're not, we're not here to sit in this building uh, and, and solely to be here, but we, are, we, we exist to be the hands of Jesus in the world, to be the feet of Jesus, to go into places in our communities and our neighborhoods, to be the mouth of Jesus uh, to people that we come across. Uh, this, th- the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at, uh, I'm going to be here next week, and we're going to do a little two-week two series uh, about embracing our sentness. And we're going to be in the Gospel of John. So if you have John chapter 20, uh, if, whatever copies of Scripture, that's where we're going to be. Because all through the biblical narrative of the 66 books of Scripture, there's story after story after story after story of people overcoming their fear and their confusion and their doubt and God using the brokenness of people's lives, restoring them, taking the mess of their life and making it a message, uh, taking the uh, test that uh, we go through and making it a testimony uh, for the sake of our community and for the sake of the nations in the world. So um, I believe that's what God is always wanting to do. And in John 20, just a quick summary. Uh, I'm a visual guy and I like to look at art and uh, look at things. I'm sure if you go to museums of, around the world, uh, John chapter 20 begins in this story where Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, remember? And she sees the tomb is empty. And then she goes to the Peter and John. And this painting here is such one of, my, one of my favorite paintings in John by a French artist in 1891. And, and, and I love John's humility in the gospel because he, he, he never calls himself. He, he always calls himself the disciple who uh, Jesus loved, right? And, and, and it was really interesting because this is a painting of them sprinting and running and I, I guess John had the Hussein Bolt thing going where he was faster than Peter, if you remember in the text. He outran Peter. And when I get, you know, in those conversations and those questions of stories in the Bible, this is one of those questions. John, what did you do to beat Peter to the grave? What was it in you? And what did you eat? What did you do to exercise? That's just kind of how my mind works. But this, they ran to the tomb in the midst of their confusion, in the midst of their wondering what was going on. They went there. And we know in John 20 what happened next is that Jesus appeared Uh, Not to those men who were following him, but to that woman, Mary of Magdalene. And this is a Rembrandt painting of that encounter of Jesus appearing to a woman who uh, was the first to preach the gospel. If you ever think about that, of a woman to preach the gospel, I love that. And then next after this, she went back and told the disciples, the, the story says... And you remember, and then I want you to look at this. This is the text this morning, John chapter 20. I want you to look at this. You're not going to have the text to read, but you're going to have this image to look at hearing the text as John records. Listen to what he said. That same day after this happened, Mary, Peter, and John ran. Mary appeared. Then the disciples, what did they do? They locked themselves in the room. They were scared to death. They were, they were bound by fear. They, they locked themselves in the room, the text says. Probably because they thought what was going to happen is that the Jews were going to come kill them, like, just like they had experienced, they observed Jesus happening to Jesus. So look at this image. This is a Sri Lankan Christian artist. Uh, a, a beautiful painting here. I think it has some very, a lot of creativity of, of this image here, of this story. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Shalom. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. The, the title, if I could tag a title to the text today, would be this. It's on your screen, I believe. Embracing our sentness, four postures to live by. This morning, we're going to look at two of these postures. Next Sunday, we're going to look at two other postures. What does it mean for us as the people of God who experience fear, doubt, confusion, just like these disciples did? How do we move through that 
and how do we move from that to be the people of God, to those that God has called us to. Um, it's so fascinating in that text. Uh, you, you, you probably have seen this before, but I want us to highlight four things of Jesus' response to disciples. What was interesting to this is you think about these guys. They were very young. They, they could have been in their late teens. They could have most likely maybe in their 20s. But they were young, had been with Jesus, had given all. Some of them had obviously kind of given up, weren't at the cross, as we know. But Jesus here appears to them. And in their fear, in their doubt, I love in that part of that text I didn't highlight. Did you notice with the emotion what shifted? The, the emotion shifted from fear to joy in the, in, in, in with Jesus' interaction. And there's four movements here in this text, what, what, how Jesus responds to the disciples in the same way Jesus responds to you and I. And the first one is this. He, he was present. Jesus was present with the disciples. He is present with us, not in bodily form because he rose from the dead, but he is present by Holy Spirit, by his spirit. As Anthony talked about, he dwells, the spirit dwells in our physical bodies. He was spoke to the disciples, not just once, but twice. And what did he say? He said, Shalom, Shalom. It's that it's the, that's what he said. It's that biblical word of, of, of peace, of, of wholeness, of, of flourishing, of I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm here to make it whole in your soul, to make you complete, that, that Jesus is the only one that can do that. And then he reveals himself. He showed him. That he, he showed the disciples. He revealed himself. And then he did forth a final thing. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. He sent the disciples. So the idea is this here. This is the main idea of what I want to address to you these next two weeks. As we embrace our sentness, we discover the presence and voice of Jesus, revealing himself and leading us to overcome our fears and encounter joy and, and empower through his spirit. You see, the, the word sent actually comes, it's actually the idea of mission. And I think there's an idea here. Our sentness is about mission. Emil Bruner was a theologian, and he says that the church exists for mission as fire exists for burning. As fire exists just for burning. The very essence of who we are as a church is mission. See, mission is not what we do. It's not what we have, you know, we have companies talk, write a mission statement. We want to define our mission as a family. Those are good things. But mission begins with God because God is ascending God, is he not? God sent Christ into the world. Christ lived, he died, he rose from the dead, as we just talked about in John 20. And then he rose from the dead, and Father, Son, and Spirit send us as his people. And he, of course, he sent the Spirit. You see the, the, the pattern there, that, that, that mission begins with God uh, as ascending God. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't build the church, we, we don't go to church, we are the church. We are the church, a part of the mission of God in the world. And it's the most exciting mission in the history of humanity. And, and you know, people who, if you, if you well, we have a lot of uh, 20-somethings that are involved in our ministry and, and just out of college, and they're looking for a cause, they're looking for a, 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 something to get involved with. And, and we talk all the time about the cause of the kingdom of God, the, the, of giving your life for the, for, the, for the fame and the name of Jesus to the nations of the world. There's no greater cause than that uh, uh, for us as the, as the body of Christ. Uh, the genius of Jesus' response here in these four ways, I think, is this. I think that all goes together. I think the idea of Jesus' uh, presence, his voice, his revealing himself, and him sending us is kind of clumped together. We oftentimes want to put those in different categories or different stages or talk about, you know, maybe like go to first, second base, third base, home, and, or whatever kind of images that we've communicated that. But I think as we live this out, that every day we see ourselves as the sent people. 
that we see ourselves as the church Monday through Friday, not just where we go to church or I go to that building or whatever, but we are the church in Pike Township. We are the church in the surrounding areas of Indianapolis or wherever we we go. Um, There's two things this morning I want to say that are, um, uh, I think, going to be under common sense to some of you. You're going to hear these. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, said something where he said that when we first come to Jesus, we need a lot of instruction. But the longer that we are Christians, the longer that we grow in Christ, the less instruction we need, but the more reminders we need. And perhaps these two uh, postures of being sent are instructions for some of us, but some, perhaps for some of us it's reminders. To be, we need to be reminded of what it means to be the sent people of God, uh, wherever uh, that, that God leads us. And, and, and two of them this morning is that, uh, I think here's the next slide here we can see. Uh, the first posture is this, we are sent with God's power to be fully present. I don't have to uh, explain or try to convince you of the brokenness, the chaos, the violence in our world, in our community. Um, you know, I just, I, I even know a lot of my ministries with Muslims in the community in different places and different spheres. And I know some of my Muslim friends go to the mosque. It's adjacent to this facility. And, uh, you know, even uh, I think it was pre-COVID, there was a, some gunfire that went off, off Lafayette and hit the mosque. Um, and just that very image there, I drive by praying for, uh, you know, Muslim friends that I know who go there. Uh, we know in our community, uh, within Indianapolis, violence and the chaos. And I think as we see that, um, next week when we're going to be talking about is that as we look around the world uh, and seeing how to be present in the context of the world. But this week we're talking about here in Pike and our community. There's usually two reactions. I want to uh, uh, read a quote here from a book that's really good. It's called Radical Hospitality, Benedict's Way of Love. And just read this with me here if you can see it or, or listen. Fear is a thief. It will steal our peace of mind, but it also hijacks relationships, keeping us sealed up in our plastic world with a fragile sense of security. Being a people who fear the stranger, we have drained the life juices out of hospitality. The hospitality we explore here is not about sipping tea and making bland talk with people who live next door or work with you. Hospitality is three things. It's lively, it's courageous, it's festive way of living that challenges and, uh, and our compulsion either to do two things, to turn away or to turn inward and disconnect ourselves from others. Those are usually the two responses. When we, when we, when we see the, the chaos and the violence in the world, we usually t- turn inward or we, uh, or we turn away. And I think it is the, the central need for us as followers of Christ is the power of Holy Spirit to, to uh, recognize the, 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 to, to, that we need that to be present with others, whoever God sends us with, to. Um, if you look at actually the word for hospitality, I must insert this insert in here, uh, is that it actually comes from uh, the Greek word uh, phileonis. Phileonis. You recognize maybe two words there. Uh, phileo, which is one of the four Greek words for love, and, uh, which is Philadelphia is named after, and uh, xenos, which is immigrant. So the very biblical idea of hospitality is to love the immigrant, to love the stranger. Ephesians 1.19 is a text here I want to highlight. It's one of my favorite verses, and it's, and it's in that prayer and that Paul gives in Ephesians. And in this verse, uh, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here. We could spend a lot of time here. But, but Paul gives this insight into God's power. Because let me say something before I read this verse. When I, was a young, when I was a teenager in Texas and grew up in a church, and we had these guys who came to our youth ministry, and they like looked like, like my son wants to look like, you know, huge biceps and the quads, and they benched, you know, 500 pounds, and they'd get up and have a telephone book, and they could rip it. 
and get these blocks. Have you ever seen these guys? You remember those guys? And they had these blocks of ice, and they would chop it, you know, and, 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 it, and it was great. I mean, it was a great crowd gatherer and, you know, getting people and sharing maybe God's love with them. I can understand that purpose. But what it equated in my mind was that was God's power. Uh, that was this, uh, this, this outward force, if you will. But that's not God's power. Uh, if you remember the story of Elijah, remember that where uh, God said, you know, when, when it, it, it was not the wind, it was not in the earthquake, it was not in the fire, but what was God, God's uh, voice in, his presence, was in the gentle whisper. And Paul takes this and unpacks this as one verse, because there's four biblical words for, for power, four biblical words that he, un, he basically empties the Greek dictionary in this one verse. And, and Paul says, his uncomparably great power for us who believe... That power is like the working of his mighty strength. Working mighty strength are all words in English of original as well as power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. You see, the power of God that is accessible to us, that most common word for power is, is power that actually is dunamis. Who knows what the English word that we get from that? Say it. Dynamite, correct. Which is correct, but again, I think it's this false image because God's power is never destructive. It's never one to cause harm or injury. But that word dunamis really means this limitless reserve, this, this bottomless pit of accessibility. No matter what kind of guilt or shame or confusion or doubt or fear you have this morning, God's power is accessible. God never comes to you. When you come to him and you say, oh, you, you, didn't, you don't believe what I did last night, you don't know what happened last week. God says, I don't care. He, he, you come to God and he always is with open arms, accessible, available to unleash his power, his forgiveness, his love, and his grace in and through you. Those other words, iskawas and kratos, are beautiful words. If you ever have time, if you like word study. And, and, and a lot of those, the, the ideas there are that, that God's power, it, it, it can overcome anything that resist, resist us. Uh, that, that God's power can overcome that. One of those words is energos. As you can you hear the English word there, probably energy, right? And that's the word that, that gives God's power, gives us the divine energy for both growing in Christ and, and doing the works of God in the world. He gives us that energy. When we feel depleted, when we feel like, we, you know, I don't have it in my own human ability, we, we don't have it in our own human ability or willpower. But when we have a willingness to surrender to that power, the Holy Spirit comes and we're able to be present. So we're sent with God's power to be fully present, and we need God's power to do that. Second posture is this, is uh, we are sent with compassion for all people. We are sent uh, with compassion for all people. Um, I've often found that when you're in dialogues with people from other religions, uh, I often have a lot of conversations with Muslims, as I said, or Hindus or Buddhists. I like to start with like what I call common graces. A lot of stories uh, in both Quran and Peretz, even uh, in, the, in the Old Testament are, are shared and, we, and starting those con conversations or start with themes like compassion or uh, grace or mercy or even love. What, talking about these themes are often ways uh, to have great dialogue. One time I was in the airport, I uh, used to travel quite extensively around the world and not so much these days working here locally, but I was in New Delhi airport. I looked up, I kid you not, I don't know if I remember I shared this uh, back at Deer Run, Sitting in the lobby, and he had his hat on, and I said, that guy looks like Richard Gere. And I said, that is Richard Gere. And as you know, Richard Gere is a devout Buddhist, an actor, and uh, meets with the Dalai Lama often and that sort of thing. And so I went up to him, and I, started I said, hey, uh, uh, can I talk to you and, and, and ask you some questions about, because I had had a friend who was working in Dalamsala, India, 
uh, and he had started the very first beauty pageant among the, the Tibetan people, because that's the, the, the Lamsala is where the Dalai Lama lives if he's not traveling, and Prince Charles from England had just come to this beauty pageant. It's just a random story, and uh, as you can imagine, and, uh, and he was really intrigued by it, and we got talking, and, and actually, I told Richard Gere, uh, and, I, and I asked him about, we started talking about compassion, and he began, I said, where's compassion? I said, you know, it seems that you have a a, a real intense compassion for Buddhist people. How did you get that compassion? How do you grow in that compassion? And we had this amazing dialogue, and, 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 and out of that I began to tell him, as a follower of Jesus, this is where compassion for me uh, has come from, and I told him this story that I want to read to you, a story you're familiar with when Jesus meets the leper, and out of this story uh, for us to learn and be reminded of how we grow in compassion. Mark 1.40, I think the scripture's on the on the screen, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. I believe Luke's version says that the man fell face down on his face before Jesus. So you say, which one did he do? He probably did both. If you are willing, can you make me clean? This man said to Jesus. And then here, I love this part. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that that Moses commanded to your cleansing as a testimony to them. The lepers in that time, as you know, you've heard, they're forgotten. They were the marginalized. I've actually been to a leper home before in India. And if you, leprosy still exists in the world. It can be cured primarily through antibiotics and good vitamins, but that's not accessible in a lot of parts of the world. Where I've sat in parts of the world where there's one doctor to every 25,000th person in nations like Bangladesh or Nepal or Mali or uh, in parts of the world where I think in America the, doctor, the ratio is about one to 200, uh, one doctor to every 200th person. But this, this, this land with leprosy, this marginalized person, he, he, he came to Jesus. And, and I want to just highlight uh, four or five movements, four of my, uh, uh, highlight truths here that we can, we can gain from this story about how, when we are sent, how do we have compassion? How do we grow in compassion? How do we maintain compassion when, it easy, when it's easy for us as the Christian community to do one of two things, to grow cynical and grow skeptical? We hear it all the time. You overhear it all the time. You know, in that movie, Anger Management, remember Jack Nicholson said, uh, talking to Adam Sandler, he said, you know, cynicism is the cousin of anger, Right. And there's so much cynicism in our culture, and it's so bleeded within the church of, 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 being, of, of being cynical about, about, uh, about, about everything, or being skeptical about everything. And I think we need the power of uh, Jesus. We need the presence of Jesus. We need uh, these stories of reminders to grow and to be nurtured in compassion. So compassion in the way of Jesus. These are just the, the highlights as we are sent to be, by God's power to be present and with compassion for our people. These are some of the highlights from the stories. You notice that for Jesus, compassion begins as you see what's around you. Jesus saw what's around him. How are we seeing what's around us in this community? A few years ago, as we began uh, the ministry, Joanna and I, uh, here in the city, we began to realize there's 90,000 immigrants in, in, in Marion County. Uh, our ministry center is, uh, this high, it's not even about two or three miles from here. It's, and um, within one mile of our, we, did a, we had some uh, grad students from IUPUI doing social work uh, in a social work master's program. They did a kind of a community assessment report for their class and gave it to us as a real gift. 
but within our ministry center that's not too far from here, uh, 75% of children from K through 12 are living b- below p- poverty, four times the higher than the average state of Indiana. Average income, again, within a one-mile radius of high school in 38th area, is about $20,000, 30% below the state average, 20% uh, without a high school di- diploma. We know that people who don't finish high school, uh, the chances are that, that the 80% chance of perhaps incarceration uh, later on in life uh, without, with being lost and a little bit uh, without direction. As I was researching here, as we are planted here and God has moved and wandered, you know, uh, the common ground story of, of finding this space and, and transition that, that uh, in the 46254 zip code, uh, I began to do a little research uh, these last few days for this message. But what does it mean to look around us? Let's listen to this. Um, uh, you know, within the 4625 zip code, it's, it's about, there's about 40,000 people in the zip code. Uh, 12% are non-citizens of the U.S. They're, they're the stranger. They're the immigrant. You don't know their story. You don't know how they got here. That's, that is about 4,800 people who Christ died for, who God loves, who, who were created in the image of God. Or about 17% of that population, 6,850 6, exactly individuals created in the image of God, live below poverty. You say, sometimes when I talk to people too, they, what, they don't have a context of what that means. What that means, let me tell you, in the state of Indiana, that's basically one person making about $12,600 a year. Imagine uh, rent, uh, car payment, uh, food, uh, utilities on that. Or it's a family of four making about $26,200 a year. A family of four with kids, how are you doing that? How are you buying food? How are you buying clothes? Your kids' clothes. Imagine that. What does it look to look around us? Oh, man, there's so much more I could say about that, but I think it speaks for itself. Compassion grows as you listen to what others are saying. This is what Jesus did. He heard. The leper said, heal me, Lord. If you're willing, make me clean. Jesus heard that. He saw it and he heard. I every day have an opportunity, the gift of being with refugees from all around the world, from, uh, uh, from Syria, from Afghanistan, from all throughout Africa. And we, we have a business, we take them mulching, and uh, uh, we, we actually are part of the cleaning here at the church as well, bringing refugees. And we, uh, we, we've done some mulching this past spring. Of course, that's kind of over in a lot of homes. And it's been beautiful of hearing. And I, had, I just I'll throw this out there. There's a, there was a uh, teenage boy, about 15 years old, born in Sudan. Oh, his family's from Sudan. They're refugees from the Nuba Mountains. They drifted up to Egypt, and they, he was born and raised in Cairo. We were, we were uh, driving, and he, and, he, and he said this to me. And he said, he said uh, will you adopt me as your son? We were just in the van together. He looked up and said, will you adopt me as your son? I can't, I can't tell you what that did to me, <laughs> to my heart, of hearing that. How are we hearing the cries and the hurts and the pains of people. We can't hear people's cries unless we know them. And we can't know them unless we get out of the walls of this building into the community, it's whether it's a coffee shop with its refugees, with its uh, girls who are being trafficked with uh, uh, Ministry of Allies, right? That's the name, right? Allies now, or uh, other missions partners of the church or other ministries in the community. How are we hearing what's around us? I remember uh, we were, another little story one time where we had these two Burmese girls and we were up in a really affluent neighborhood in the suburbs in these huge houses and the girl didn't even know the word, su- she started saying, how are these big houses? And, and I was trying to say, have you heard of the word suburbs? And she said, she'd been in America five years. And, she's, and, I, and she said, no, I've never, what does that mean? 
So I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you explain this? You know, the 1950s, white flight in the suburbs and the you know, but, but like, no, I didn't go that way. But like, I just said, well, you know, as cities grew in America, I mean, this girl comes from a Thailand refugee camp, right? So I mean, the context, right? But she said something in that conversation. You know what she said? She said, do, do people up here talk to each other? And I said, you know, that's a great question. L2, her name was L2. And I said, I hope they do. But, you know, that's what we as followers of Jesus, we have to talk to people. Um, involves feeling, that's the next point. Compassion involves feeling. That word compassion there in the Greek word, it's where we get our word for spleen or intestine. And so there was a physiological reaction in Jesus. When's the last time you felt compassion and brokenness for the pain of our community? When you've driven by and you said, oh man, I just, that is not right. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make it crack like that. But, you know, there is, a, there, is a, there is a compassion of Jesus that we should feel for our community. And so this is the mode, this is the movement of compassion. And then, and then next always leads to action. Jesus didn't say, I'm sorry, he healed him, right? The, biblical compassion is beyond mere pity, it leads to action. And then lastly, uh, the, the, the biblical compassion, the way of Jesus, is that he was convinced that, that, Jesus, that this man needed to be restored back to a productive member of society. He needed to be re, uh, back to the temple to offer the, the cleansing to be restored back to a productive member of his community. Now, we know he didn't do that. He went off, and Jesus asked him to do that, but he didn't do that. But, he, but Jesus was, was a part of that whole process, that whole cycle, that whole process. So this morning, that's all I have for you. I want to close in one story of just a personal experience and then have communion together. Um, I pray that you'd, be, you'd pray and search God of what it means to embrace your sentness, to be present with people by, through God's power, to grow in compassion for all people, um, and to remember that there's a lot of people in our city that, are, that feel forgotten. Uh, I want to tell you a story about Treasure, a young man named Treasure. I think the photo is there. So we first met Treasure back in 2016, his family. And his, his family was eight people living in an apartment um, on, the, on the west side. They had no furniture. They were refugees. They'd been in America about two years. And um, some of you know, been around Common Ground a while, my good friend Ty Denny, who pastored Common Ground Northeast. Um, his, our, both of our sons are the same age and have a long-time friendship. And we got together and got furniture for this family. Well, I lost touch with the family. And I knew at that time, though, uh, he was young at that time and underage, but he, uh, I smelled alcohol. I could tell he was drinking quite a bit. We, I went back a few times, and it would be like 9 in the morning, and he'd have a beer can, this young man. And I began to ask him his story, and he said that in the refugee camp in Africa, at the, at the age of 8, uh, you know, and if you've been to Africa, and you know, they, a lot of the villages, they will, they will ferment uh, corn or wheat or whatever, make some sort of fermented drink. He began to drink uh, homemade alcohol at a young, as a young boy and became addicted. And so I lost touch with um, Treasure during that moment. And then the church uh, community that we were a part of years ago reconnected with him. And a tragic event happened, and he got in trouble with the law, and he was sentenced to four years in jail. Well, just a uh, long story short, not the time to get into the detail, but I met his younger brothers who had reached out to me, texted me saying, uh, I had, he, one of his younger brothers who's eighth or ninth grade telling me that he had given his life to Jesus, just texted me out of the blue. And his name is Miko. And I was like, wow, that's great. So we, he'd been connected with us a little bit. So I went over to their house and, and had not seen Treasure 
in four years and he had gotten out of jail. So we began to talk here, and in the moment, uh, he, I began to tell him, you know, ask him how he is, how long he's been clean, how long he's been sober, and he's working towards sobriety, and, I just, and, and we prayed together. And then I said, I noticed he had some tattoos that I didn't remember before. And I have a few tattoos myself, and we, you know, tattoos are always stories, right, of our lives, or however uh, we want to interpret that. And so it's, I said, hey, man, I want to see some of your tattoos, Treasure. And so the first thing he said, sure, he just took his shirt right off, and without even asking you know, uh, him to. And he turned around and showed me his back. And, I, and before I kind of noticed the front, I said, I said, Treasure, I said, did you, did you get these in jail? And he said, yeah. And I said, did you feel forgotten when you were inside? And he said, yeah. And I said, you know, man, I, I, I tell you that Jesus did not forget you. And I haven't seen you in a few years. And he turned around with that big smile and pointed right here in his chest. He said, that's all that got me through because I got this one on my chest. If you notice a picture of Jesus on his chest. And, you know, the, the story of this is so beautiful. And pray for treasure. Pray for his family. And pray for the treasures of the city. And, and I, I guarantee you that your neighbor, uh, your, the cubicle, your, that you, someone in your cubicle next to you, someone in your classroom, uh, someone in the gym you go to, someone in the, your yoga class, there are treasures that you know that are around you that feel forgotten. And I hope that, that, that this morning that in, as we move into communion, that we remember our sending God and a, 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 that we're sent into the world uh, to be salt and light. So, Lord, I pray for this uh, community of people. I pray, oh God, that you would help us to be reminded that we are the sent people. Lord, that you overcome the fear, the doubt, the confusion like you did those disciples. That you can move us to be present, to grow in compassion. Um, for the sake of the treasures of our community who feel forgotten and who live perhaps maybe wondering if anyone cares. Lord, maybe we be that, those people of God who uh, don't grow cynical or skeptical but live in the power of your spirit to love boldly, to love, to love radically. And uh, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.